Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. You don't have to clap. I'm not prompting you there to do that. But man, if you're here at church on January the 2nd, I just want to commend you for that. You're starting the year off right. And I know that there are those that are joining us online that couldn't join us because they are sick. We have a number of families within our church family that are sick right now, and so they're not able to be with us. We had about three or four people from our worship team call out this morning from waking up sick or being up all night sick or uh, testing positive late last night, and so I know that there's a lot of that going around right now, and so we pray that they would continue to uh, have mild symptoms of whatever it is that they're facing and that they would heal quickly. But I'm thankful that you're here today, and I I told you just a few minutes ago, I'm excited. I've got a great sense of anticipation Uh, about today and about the next 21 days, really about this entire month of January and beyond. Uh, But as I think about what I believe God wants to do in this place and in our uh, our community of faith uh, over the next few weeks, I really do have such a high sense of anticipation. And I hope that maybe tomorrow morning you'll begin the process of joining with us six to seven o'clock in person. Again, you can join us online via YouTube if you can't make it here, but we'll get you out of here by seven to get you to work or to school or whatever it is that you've got to get to. But it's going to be a really great 21 days. We're going to spend the 21 days of prayer and fasting talking about miracles. And maybe that's something that you've been exposed to. Maybe that's something you're very comfortable talking about. Perhaps it's not for some of us. Uh, But we're going to spend our Sundays during this month and then all of our gatherings together Monday through Saturday uh, talking about miracle stories from Scripture. And I believe that it will grow our faith, but I hope and pray that it's not just a knowledge for each of us, that it's also the opportunity for us to kind of grow our faith enough to ask God for some big things, to pray some big and bold prayers to God during this time together. And and then the last thing that I want to tell you quickly just about this month is that this coming week we would celebrate 10 years as a church. So yeah, absolutely. You can can absolutely clap there. We opened on January the 8th, 2012 uh, at Sequoia High School. And so it's been 10 years. We're going to celebrate that together as a church family at the end of this month. So the last Sunday of January, January the 30th, we'll have our 10-year celebration service, kind of our 10th birthday. And so we want you to be a part of that as well, January the 30th. But it is this coming week. And so I've been reflecting on all of God's goodness towards us over these 10 years, and there's a lot to be thankful for. You'll hear some of those stories come out over the next few weeks as I, uh, as I share. But uh, a couple weeks ago, we were celebrating Christmas together. It was December the 19th. We gathered together as a church family, and uh, we, we, we celebrated. We sang some Christmas carols, and we went to the Christmas story in Matthew 2 and Luke chapter 2. And, and then as we finished our service, uh, we got into our cars, all of us, and we split. Now, You have to know that what I'm telling you that happened to me in the next hour or so actually started the night before because I have a tendency, and I'm sure I'm the only one, but I have a tendency every now and again to run out of gas in my car. Anybody else run out of gas on a just semi-regular? Okay, so all of you are liars. I'm assuming you know, that's fine. I I get it. When you get to half a tank, you automatically go and fill up. That's fine. That's no problem. You go ahead and do that. But in my life, it's not... I don't know. I, 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 there's so many areas of my life where I, I, I love to work ahead, think ahead, plan ahead, be strategic, all of those things. But it always feels like stopping to get gas happens at the most inopportune times. 
Like, it just feels like I'm, I'm pausing whatever progress I've been making on this trip. Or it always feels like it's going to cause me to, you know, kind of be a little later to wherever I'm headed. Or maybe not arrive as early as I wanted to arrive. And so it, it, it does seem that in my car, most time, like, it's on the left of, of half. It's sometimes on the left of E. I got to be honest. Like, sometimes... I've had some cars that I actually burnt the entire bulb out that said that I was low. Like it just, it stayed on so long that that bulb just completely ran out of juice. But like, I just always seem to have that issue. So it's, it's been a, it's been a little while since I've run out of gas, not like a long time and it's not important. So Corey doesn't need to share how long it's been, but it's been a little while. So on the Saturday night before that Sunday morning, Corey said, Hey, I, I drove your car uh, you know, yesterday or whatever, and it's been sitting there for a day or two. But like when I drove it, like it was getting a little empty. It was getting a little low. So you may want to stop. You may want to leave a little early on the way to church. Aren't you th- so thankful for wives and spouses that sound like the voice of the Holy Spirit that speak wisdom into your life? And, and so she said, hey, you may want to stop on the way to church and get some gas in your car. And I was like, yeah, that's absolutely what I'm going to do. And so I left from the house on that Sunday morning, coming to church, and I thought, man, I had my worship music on. Like, I've got a Sunday morning soundtrack in my car. Like, the Spirit is in my car. And I wasn't thinking about gas. I wasn't thinking about stopping. I was thinking about how quickly can I get to church? Let's go. Like, I, that's all I was thinking about. And so, let's now go to the end of service. Service is over. We've greeted one another. We've had a great day. And so, I'm leaving and so I said to Cooper, who's 17, he's, he's a driver now, I said, hey, why don't you swing through, grab some lunch, me and mom, we'll, we'll drive our cars, we have three cars at the church, we'll all drive to the house, we'll meet you there, we're going to pick our stuff up that we've got to go, and then we're headed out of town, we're going to go and meet family in Kentucky for Christmas, and so that was the plan. So Cooper goes to get lunch, Corey heads towards the house, I head towards the house, and Kenley, our daughter, 10-year-old daughter, she rode with me. And as soon as I got in the car and cranked the car up, I thought, you know what? I haven't stopped for gas yet. I probably need to do that pretty soon. And so I was thinking, I'll go down the hill and I'll turn left. There's a racetrack. There's a QT. That's where I'll get gas quickly. But again, it always seems to happen at the wrong time. So what happened is I decided I'm not going to turn left. That's away from our house. I'm going to turn right. I'll go a little further down there. I'll go to the gas station on the way home. I don't want to, I don't want to go backwards. And so I turned right. As soon as I turned right, I had that just nudge, like the conviction of the Holy Spirit, maybe, or just the voice of my wife. I thought this was a mistake. I should have turned left. Because at that point, I wasn't just empty. Like I was, it was bad. Okay. So I turned right. And Kenley, she's talking to me, she's telling me stories, and I'm trying to listen while thinking, like, how far can I really make it this direct? Can I turn around? Can I turn around in the median? Could I? So I'm getting, so I'm going, you know, kind of close to Little Caesars over there, across from the car wash. That's my, that's my destination. That's where I'm headed to the gas station. And so I'm thinking, okay, I, I can make it. I can make it. So when I started driving at 16, here was, the, here was the mistake. I blame my parents for this. They gave me a manual transmission. They gave me a stick shift to learn how to drive. Well, man, if you were low on gas in a stick shift, you could drive another 80 or 90 miles. You could just keep popping the clutch and working the thing. Now I don't drive a stick. And so once you start chugging, you're done. Like you are done. And so we are headed down the hill I can see the gas station. It's the promised land. It's just across the Jordan River there. And so I'm headed down the hill a little bit, and I'm thinking, if I could just pop this thing in a neutral, we could glide this car down the hill, and I could get enough momentum going in. I'm assuming it wasn't you, but somebody from our community was driving well below the speed limit in my lane. I could not generate enough momentum. And I got to the bottom of that, that little hill there, and, and here's, here's how I know the devil is a real enemy, because every gas station has an incline into the parking lot. And so 
I'm coming down the hill, and I can't get enough momentum to get it up into the parking lot. And so now I'm parked in the middle of the road, right, in the middle of the lane. Kenley's like, why are we stopped? I'm like, I don't know, baby. I think something's wrong with the car. I'm not really, I don't want her to be disappointed in her father. And so I was like, all right. So I picked up the phone. I made the call. You know what I'm talking about? It was not 911. I called my wife. And I was like, hey, listen, the weirdest thing happened. I don't know. They've started new technology. You've got to have gas in the car. I said, hey, um, car's out of gas. She was like, really? I feel like we've had this conversation before. So I was like, can you, can you bring the boys back? You know, they're riding with you. Can you bring the boys back? We'll push the car. I don't think Kenley could drive the car as I'm pushing it into the parking lot. And so she turns around, lovingly, graciously, turns around, comes back. She gets there. The, the two other boys get out of the car. And let me just pause for a second and say that as soon as other people realize what condition I was in, all manner of humanity got out to help me. I mean, black and white and Hispanic and young and old. And let me just say this. This is not even in the notes, but I have said it two or three times. If we would just turn off the news, we would actually realize most people are really nice people. Like, they will help you. Like, if you have a need, man, I, I got people I'd never met. They were like, it's totally fine. I do this all the time. I'm like, well, don't say that to my wife. Like, it's fine. So they helped me. We got it up there. So I pumped the gas. We get it in the car. It's awesome. I'm thinking, okay, we're, gonna, we're headed out of town for vacation. I go to crank the car. Battery's dead. I know. We call that Isaac's luck. I don't know. I think I just sat there too long with the key like on but not on and the battery drained. I'm not really sure. So then I called my wife again. I was like, I know you just left. <laughs> Can you come back and give me a jump? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So that's what happened. She came back. But I thought, you know what, this is going to make a great story in a couple weeks when we talk about this idea of running on empty. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings is, uh, is one of these books in the Old Testament that's split in, in half. You've got kind of a, a seamless story that spans two different books. You've got 1 and 2 Samuel, you've got 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. And so what you have here is in the history of the people of Israel, the children of Israel, God's people, you see that they are kind of lacking in some leadership that they desire, but God has ordained the prophets. And so you see that taking place. And eventually you're going to see kind of the, 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 the king come to be in the history here. But in this moment, we're looking at the prophet. And the prophet of God was a man of God that God was using to speak truth to his people. And so there were people there among the, the, the Hebrew people that would have come to the prophet to seek something from God. This is what we read beginning in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, and it says this. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and she shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. With the remainder of our time today, I want to look at this idea of running on empty. I want you to think about where this woman finds herself. 
She is the wife of one of the company of prophets. So there was a group of prophets in that day who uh, were being used by God mightily to speak truth to God's people. And so uh, they were serving under uh, Elisha, and they would have been serving alongside of Elisha. And so Elisha would have known her husband. So she comes to the prophet, and she said, hey, I'm kind of paraphrasing the story here, but she says, hey, my husband's dead. You know that. But if that wasn't enough, not only am I a widow in a culture where I can't really provide income for myself, I'm a, I'm a homemaker, housekeeper, I, I kind of make sure everybody's fed, and I make sure all the laundry's done, and I make sure everything's kind of taken care of, and I work with the other women of the village to make sure that the community's taken care of, but like I don't provide income for myself, and so I'm kind of stuck. And she says, I got two boys but we don't know how old these boys are. Now, they were old enough to help her later in this story, but we don't know if they were old enough yet to work. And if they were old enough to work, they weren't old enough to work to generate enough money to pay off the debt that they had. So now she is stuck. She's a woman in a culture where she couldn't make income with two sons who evidently were not able to make enough money to pay off what she owed. And she had debt that was pressing down on her. Maybe you have experienced that at some point in your life. Like, you don't want to answer the phone because it's the collection agency. You, you don't even want to go to the mail because you know it's either going to be just trash or it's going to be someone calling the note. They're going to be calling for the bill. And it's easier for you to kind of avoid it and ignore it than it is for you to try to deal with it. And so you're not sure. You're afraid if somebody knocks on the door and you weren't expecting that perhaps someone is coming to collect on what you owe them. And so maybe you felt that kind of pressure where she's not sure who's showing up at the door. She's not sure when they're going to call for the debt. But now it's gotten worse. Not only does she owes somebody, she owes somebody so much that they're going to come and take her two sons and put them to work until the debt is paid. This is a tough spot to be in. And maybe you've experienced that. And maybe it's not debt in your life right now, but maybe there are some other things that are taking place that are pressing in on you. They are, they are consuming you. And you find yourself in a place where you're not even really sure how you can deal with the circumstances that you find yourself in right now. This is the experience of this woman. And so she needs God to intervene on her behalf. And so she comes to the prophet Elisha and she says, hey, here's, here's my situation. And here's what I would say to all of us at the very beginning of 2022. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're walking through. But if our first response is not to turn to God, we are missing out. She immediately turns to the prophet to say, I need God to do something here. And so Elisha says, okay, here's what we're going to do. And he lays out the plan for her. Now, I've used this joke before, but in about 15 seconds, you're going to get a good spot to laugh, okay? So the prophet says to her in the first example of the varsity restaurant in the world, he says, well, what do you have? See, it's not really funny, but I mean, it's there. It's in Scripture. It's Old Testament. And so she says, well, I have nothing. I have nothing. He says, like, here's how we're going to meet this need. Here's how God's going to intervene. What, what do you have in your house? And she says, I have nothing except. I don't, I don't really have anything at all. And I think when I, I think about my circumstances, I think about perhaps you, I think about the conversations that I've had over the, the years of ministry and the years within our church. I think about people that want to do something for God. They want God to do something in their circumstances. And yet when they think about how God may meet that need, they are convinced that they have Nothing. Is it possible that our lack is just our lack of perspective? Is it possible that what we think we don't have is actually what we have in our hands and God is wanting to use that? She says, I have nothing at all. Now, maybe you walk into 2022 feeling that way. 
Maybe you walk in feeling, man, I am tapped out. I've got nothing left. I've lived through the longest year of my life, which is actually two years. I mean, it was 2020 that came into 2021, and it felt like it all kind of rolled into, I got nothing left. I lost my job. I got another job. I hate that job. I lost that job, perhaps. Maybe I am burned out. I've been burning the candle at both. I don't have anything left to give. I have nothing at all. That's what this woman says. Except, she said in verse 2, I have a small jar of olive oil. I have a small jar. Now, I don't know the size of her jar. So here's a jar that I have. I don't know how this compares to what she had. I have a small jar. Now, when I was in English class, when I was a kid, I know we've got a bunch of teachers in the room. I was taught how to diagram sentences, and I was taught the various parts that words play in sentences. That word small is an adjective. It's describing the jar. You could do a lot of things with the rabbit that runs around the tree or something that they were trying to teach me there. I don't know if that's right. I think that might be a preposition. But the idea being... That you got, now you're paying attention, you're listening to. The adjective here is that I've got a small jar. Now, how would she know it was small? The only way to know it was small is if she had seen something larger. She wouldn't have had any context to describe it as small, except that she had seen something that wasn't as small. She had seen a large jar. Maybe she used to have a large jar. Maybe she had large jars at her house, but they were all empty. And so she says, all I have is a small jar of olive oil. And I think for so many of us, when we start to look at what we do have, when we start to compare our gifts, when we start to compare the things that we possess in our lives, whether they are tangible or intangible, we, can't, we run the, the risk of playing the comparison game. We think, I have nothing at all. When you think about, like, I want to sing, but I can't sing like some of these people. Like, I want to serve in the church, but I'm not, I'm not overtly friendly. I'm kind of introverted. I, I'm, I'm scared of people. I, I don't think I could serve in kids. I don't, I don't even really love kids that much. I don't, like, I don't even know where I would fit into the equation. of like, I just want to do I have nothing to give. We talked a few weeks ago about our legacy offering. Together, we raised almost $20,000 that we're going to give away to various needs within our community. And we've already started doing that, obviously. And we've talked about that and celebrated that. We're going to continue to do that in the weeks ahead. But maybe as you started thinking about the legacy offering and what you could give, you think, I, didn't, I don't have anything to give. Some people are giving $500 or $5,000. I don't even have $5 right now that I can. I have nothing at all except a small jar of oil. And I think if we look at ourselves in this way, knowing that maybe what we have doesn't really compare to what others have, if we're not careful, it robs us of the ability to see ourselves as someone that God can use, as having something that God can use for his purposes. And I've said this before, and I stole it out of a couple of books that I read, but it's a great reminder for all of us as we begin a brand new year. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. You're going to struggle to ever find contentment in your life if you are constantly comparing what you have to what someone else has. It's like, well, I have a car, but it's not as nice a car as they have. I have a house, but it's not as nice a house as they have. It's not, it's, I don't have the things on my back porch as what my neighbor has on there. I don't have the job that my other friend has. I don't make as much money as those. I don't have the family that I desire. I have nothing at all except a small... If we're not careful... Comparison will rob us of contentment. But what if all that God needs to answer your prayers is already in your hands? 
I told you that the varsity was referenced here in the Old Testament. It's also referenced in the New Testament. I don't know if you knew that. It's an Old Testament and New. It's Old Covenant, New Covenant. This is, this is godly, right? And after the 21 days are over, you can go eat all the varsity you want. In the New Testament, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. You know this story. And so the preacher goes a little long, which never happens here. It happens in other places. So Jesus preaches a little long. He preaches in and through lunch. And so the disciples come to him and say, hey, you know, listen, everybody's getting a little hungry. We need to feed these people. And he looks at them and says, well, what do you have? And the only thing that they can scrounge up among the crowd is this little boy's lunch of some bread and some fish. And you know what? It was exactly enough to meet the need. It was a small lunch, but it was enough. It was a small jar of oil, but it was enough. So here's what the prophet says to her. He says, okay, then you take that small jar and you go back to your house. And I want you and your boys to go to all of your neighbor's houses and I want you to get empty jars and don't get a few. I love that line. Don't get just a, like this is a testament of how big your faith actually is, how much you're trusting God to intervene right here. Go to all your neighbor's houses and get as many empty jars as you can find. I love that this is included in this story because what if the answer to your prayers is in your community of people? Like, what if God wants to use the people that live around you? What if God wants to use the people on your ball team, the people on your job? Like, what if God wants to use those people? Maybe you flip it on its head because it's easier to think this way. What if God wants to use you to meet the needs of someone else? Like, what if you're a part of the neighbors that has empty jars? And you're like, well, I've got nothing except empty jars. Empty jars are good for nothing except that empty jars was exactly what she needed to see God do the miraculous. And so you look around and you go, well, I have nothing, but what if what you have is exactly what someone else needs to see God answer their prayers? What if God desires to use community? It's why we believe in groups. We're going to launch groups in two weeks. And when we talk about launching groups, like we're not just trying to fill up your calendar with other stuff. We're trying to help you get connected to other people because we really do believe that life together is better. We don't believe that you were meant to live in isolation and face all of your problems by yourself. We really do believe that there is power in community and we want to connect to one another and do life together in homes and maybe in this facility and in restaurants so that we can do life together and see God work through us and in us to do amazing things. And so then the prophet says, after you've gone to your neighbor's house, you've collected as many empty jars as you can, then I want you to go back to your house, go in and shut the door. That's in verse 4. You can actually read in verse 5 where that's exactly what she does. She goes in and shuts the door behind her and her sons. And I know in the present day, and I'm going to sound like an old curmudgeon here, but that's okay because I'm getting older and more curmudgeon-y by the day, right? But I recognize that in in the world that we live in, and there's social media, and there's 24-hour access to all kinds of information and news, and we're connected to more people than we've ever been connected to, and I recognize that so much of what we do is externally processed. Every thought we have, we want people to know about it. I mean, I'm guilty of this. Every time I sit down and it looks good on the plate, I take a picture of it. I mean, you go through my phone right now, there are pictures of meals. Because like, oh, this is nice. And sometimes I post them and sometimes I don't. Nobody cares that they put the carrots on that side of the plate. But it's nice how they did that with the color on. I mean, it's just real. I love that we externally process so many things. I'm an external processor in a lot of different ways. But a lot of times, I also am doing some things in my mind before I let it out. But I think that there are times when God desires to do something in your heart and in your life and in your circumstances, and he wants to do it behind closed doors. Like, you don't have to share every thought that you have, every opinion that you have. Can I just give you some just quick words of of advice on social media? Like, you need to be careful what you're saying. 
Like, I know that you think it it is important that you share every opinion and every thought that you have. And sometimes I do too. I recognize that my guilt in this. But the algorithms of all of those things just lump us together. So you're really literally preaching to the choir. Or you're alienating the people that you might have influence with. And so you got to be careful. It doesn't mean you can't give an opinion, but you do so. You speak the truth in love. And I see a lot of truth and very little love in so many things that are posted online right now. And so when we, when we filter all of that through what is it that a Christ follower should and shouldn't do in person and online, like we got to be careful in how we conduct ourselves. But there are some things that God desires to do behind closed doors. We actually read it earlier in our service. In Matthew chapter 6, he said, hey, when you're, when you're praying, you don't have to do it on the street corners. And you don't have to be loud and babble and repeat your words all the time. No, no, no. You go in and you shut the door behind you and you pray in secret. And the God who knows the secret things, he will respond to you. He says, when you fast, you don't, you don't act like all disheveled and tell everybody, oh, look at me, I'm struggling and I'm fasting. I don't know if y'all know, but I'm fasting. I hadn't had caffeine in, in four minutes. And y'all just look at my face. And No, no, no. He says, listen, you comb your hair. There's some folks in the room, maybe like me, there's less and less hair to comb. But you go ahead and comb it and make it nice and you put something on your face and you, you go out in public and you don't let them know what you're doing in private. But in private, the God who sees you and sees the things that you're doing in private, he will reward you. If you do it all for the public glory, you do it all for the stuff that's out in front, you have gotten all of the reward that you will get. But if I want the reward of God, I get in behind closed doors and I shut that door and I ask God to do the supernatural in my circumstances. There are some good things that God does and he does them in private. And that's okay. That's okay. And so then she does that. And I love when you get to verse, the end of verse 5 and into verse 6 because then you start to see the miracle take place. Like the tangible like expression of the miraculous in this story. She's gathered these empty jars with her sons, and she comes in, and she takes her small jar of oil, and she begins to pour that oil into empty jars after she shut the door. And I don't know how many jars she got. The Bible doesn't tell us if she got five or 10 or 50 or 500, but however many jars she got, she just started pouring. And I don't know when it happened, but you had to know that there came a moment in this story when she recognized There's not that much oil in this jar because she just kept pouring and she filled a jar and set it aside and filled a jar and set it aside and filled a jar. And I don't know if it was the second jar or the fourth or the eighth or the twelfth, but at some point she had to recognize I started with a small jar of oil and oil is still flowing out of it. She recognized that she was living in a miracle. How often do we recognize the miracles that we're living in every single day? That we get to get up and we get to walk. We have a roof over our head. It may not be the roof you want, but you got a roof over your head, perhaps. You go to a job, maybe that you don't love, but it's a job that's provided. Like there's some miraculous things that if 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 we're not careful, we can miss those miracle moments. And praising and worshiping God, I would encourage us over these 21 days, it's one of the prayer points that I have written down. God, help me to worship you and celebrate the small miracles. Let me pause long enough to go, Woo! I mean, there's not enough yet, but man, there is still oil flowing out of this small jar. And at some point she recognizes that. You have to believe it. So she just keeps filling jars. Five jars, 10 jars, 50 jars, I don't know. But at some point she calls for a jar 
And one of her boys says, there are no more empty jars. And then the oil stopped. I'm going to read it to you just so that you know I'm not making it up. This is what it says in verse 6. Bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Don't miss the order of what I just read. The oil did not stop flowing until she stopped presenting jars. God is not limited by anything other than the limits that we put on him. It's like, I mean, he's not even limited by that. But in our circumstances, in the prayers that we're praying, and the things that we're asking God to do, like in those moments, God is not limited. He could continue to pour jars. I believe this with all of my heart. I'm not trying to add to Scripture. Please don't write me an email and say I made something up. I just believe with all of my heart that if we were to see that she had 50 more jars, there would have been enough oil for 50 more jars. If she had two more jars, there would have been enough oil for two more jars. Because it wasn't until she stopped presenting emptiness that the oil stopped. That is our ultimate job in this process. The more I create empty space, the more God can fill it. And you say, well, I don't even know what that looks like in my life. Maybe you carry some hurt in your heart. Maybe these last, last year or two has created some hurt in you. Maybe it's been five years, 10 years, 20 years in your life. And there's some hurt in your heart. Maybe during these 21 days, maybe to start 2022, the best thing that you could do is say, God, would you remove that hurt? I want to create empty space so that you can fill it with more of your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Like, I want to experience the fullness of who you are. But God, to do that, I got to get some junk out of me. God, I, I need to get some addictive behaviors and habits out of me. I want to create some empty space with so much of the time and energy that I've given to so many other things that don't honor you. God, would you help me to get those things out and empty myself of all unrighteousness? And as I create empty space, would you fill me with more of your presence? Maybe it's in your thought life. Maybe you struggle with anxiety, fear, worry, uncertainty. We're walking into a year and you're not really sure what's going to happen in the days ahead. And it seems like even though we've always lived that way, there seems to be more uncertainty before us. And so maybe you're gripped by that fear in your mind. Well, scripture tells us that we can take every thought captive. When we're teaching our kids, we just had this conversation with one of our kids the other night. What we talk about, if you want to take a thought captive, put a cap on it. Right? We want to take it captive. We want to lock it away, put it in captivity, kind of put it in jail and say, God, I'm going to leave that to you. That's not of you. That doesn't come from you. I can't, I can't necessarily be held accountable with every crazy thought I have. But once I recognize it, I'm going to push it to the side and I'm going to ask you to fill my mind with thoughts that are of you. Thoughts of, of good things and holy things and right things. And here's what scripture promises us. That he can replace all of those uncertainties and fears and anxieties and worries that we have with a peace that passes all understanding. And here's what Scripture says about it. It's a, it's a peace that comes from Christ Jesus, and it will guard our hearts and our minds. It's our job to create empty space and then ask God to fill that empty space. That's what we're asking God to do. For our church, we're asking God in 2022 to fill every empty seat that we have across both of our services, and we'll start a third service, and we're going to fill that service. And we're just asking and believing God to fill this location because we have a dream in our heart that we believe came from him to launch other locations of our church. We're believing that if we can create empty space, God can fill that empty space. Why? Not for us or for his glory, but because there are hundreds of thousands of people that are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ within driving distance of this place right now. 
I know there's great churches, but man, there's so many people whose hearts and lives are empty, and we want to fill that emptiness with more of God's presence, and we want to be a part of that. It's our job to create empty space, and it's God's job to fill it. Whenever she stopped presenting emptiness, God stopped filling. And that would be an awesome place to end the story, wouldn't it? Like, that would be great right there. You could end it. Look at that. It's great. But that's not where this story ends. It continues on for at least one more verse. And what we read in verse 7 is she comes back to the prophet. She opens up the door. She comes out of her house and she says to the prophet, hey, here's what happened. I took that small jar of oil that I had and I poured it into every empty jar that I had. And as soon as I found that there were no more empty jars, the oil stopped. And this is what he said to her. We already read this. This is what he said in verse 7. He said, so go and sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left. It would also be a great story if the story ended when he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. That's all she was asking for. If you go back and think about the, the, the problem that she presented to the prophet, it was, hey, I got the creditors. They're on my back. There's overwhelming debt. They're trying to take my sons. I don't know what we're going to do. And so if the story ended right there, that would have been enough. Go and sell it and pay off your debts. But what happened is he said, go and pay off your debts, and then you and your sons can live on what is left. It means that there was more than enough to meet her need. It means that the solution that God provided to her problem didn't just meet her need, it exceeded her need. And what we've been talking about for the last few months around here is comes out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or imagine. And so what we're saying is, God, here's my problem. Here's what I need. Here are the things that I'm asking. Here's the miracle that I'm seeking from you. And God can meet that need, but then he can exceed that need. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask him for. And I told you that this is how this story ended, but if you remember from the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in the New Testament, what happened? He took the little, little bit of lunch that they did have, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it, this foreshadowing to the Last Supper. He blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. And then you know what happened at the end after everyone had been fed? It says that the disciples walked back around and they picked up baskets full of leftovers. He exceeded the need. He gave more than they even needed for the need that they knew about. So what is it that you're asking God for? What are you seeking for God to do in your circumstances right now? What is the miraculous? And when you think about your problem, what is that limit that you've placed on God to say, I only have a little something. I don't feel like I have anything. I have nothing at all. Except a small jar. What are the limits that I'm playing? How many empty jars am I willing to get? But I'm thinking, well, this is probably enough. Like God could only do this amount. I'm not going to ask for too much. Pastor Mark Batterson, who's a pastor in Washington, D.C., also writes some incredible books. One of his most famous books is a book called Circle Maker, talking about prayer. And he says that God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. What I'm asking God for in these 21 days are some bold things. I'm asking God for, to heal some people that are sick in my life. I believe he can do it. I'm asking God for some financial things. I believe he can do it. I'm asking God for some relational healing and some brokenness in relationships, in my, and I believe he can do it. I'm going to pray some big, bold, crazy prayers that if I told you, you'd think, well, I mean, I mean yeah, God can do anything, but I don't think he can do that. And I want to pray those prayers so that God can meet those needs. So that at the end of it, we can go, yeah, that had to be God. 
What are you praying for right now? How big is the God that you're praying to? How many limits are you placing on God? How many limits are you placing on yourself? I don't have anything. I don't have anything to offer God. I, don't, I can't be a part of the miraculous. How much are you living in isolation away from other people when perhaps the answer to the prayers that you're praying are right there in the relationships around you? Like so many incredible truths that come out of this story. And all month long, we're gonna keep looking at these miraculous stories to grow our faith to believe that we're praying to a God who doesn't just meet needs. He exceeds needs. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes right where you're at just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I know that I'm not, I'm not praying to a God that we're talking about because I'm not in a relationship with that God. And I really want to be saved today. I want him to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. Thank you so much. You can put it right down as soon as you do. If you're watching online, I encourage you to let us know that you're making that decision today. We want to pray for you, pray with you. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, I need a miracle. It may seem small to some, it may seem big to some, but I need God to do something in my life that I know I can't do by myself. I know maybe the doctors can't do it or the banks can't do it, but I need God to do something in my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? You need a miracle. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God, I love you today, and I thank you for who you are, and I thank you that you're a God that can be trusted with bold prayers. And so, God, I pray right now for every person in this place, every person watching online today. I pray again, Lord, that you would touch every person that's sick, that may be watching or may be connected to our church family. God, touch their bodies right now. And God, I pray for every person that's acknowledged today that they need you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. Would you forgive their sins and be their Lord? God, we thank you that you can do that. And God, now I pray for every person that's seeking a miracle. Whatever it is that they need from you, God, would you do exceedingly abundantly above all that they can ask or imagine? Would you help them to recognize that they possess in their hands what you've gifted and given to them? And God, that's enough for you to do this miracle. And God, I pray that they would connect to other people who may be a part of the solution. They may be a part of the answered prayer. Help them not to live in isolation. But God, I pray that we would shut ourselves in in these 21 days and come together for prayer and spend some quiet moments seeking you and trusting you and growing our faith. God, to fast and to give of ourselves and to abstain from things, to commit more time and energy to you. So God, we thank you for what you're going to do. But God, we cannot wait to hear the miracle stories of what you do in the next few weeks, in the next few days, as we trust you more than we ever have before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.